Well, don't do what this dumb guy did. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. Early in the year. You know, this is an exciting time of year. We're hearing from so many of you who want to do something on your own. You, you really feel like you've been vulnerable, been jerked around. You want to do something on your own. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit and how that can be played out. Well, that and a whole lot more questions. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. Dan, I'm now scared I've set myself up for the wrong field of work. Somebody says, as the president of a nonprofit Christian organization, I want to create income from the organization, but I'm not sure how. My brother needs coaching, but I don't know where to start with him. Ah, don't you know, family members can be the toughest to help sometimes. And then somebody says, how do I submit my application to the person whose job I want? That's an interesting scenario. If you want to submit an application, but you really want the job of the person that's going to be the first one to see your resume, well... That can be tough. Well, these are real questions. If you got questions, you can shoot them in to me at askdan at 48days.com. Our quotation from today for today comes from Otto van Bismarck, who said, Only a fool learns from his own mistakes. The wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Now let's let's break that down a little bit. Because we do want to learn from the mistakes of others. One of the reasons I read so much is because I want to learn from the mistakes of others. I don't, I can't live long enough to figure everything out on my own, making my own mistakes. So I want to observe, learn from, read about the mistakes of others. So the call to action really for this week is what have you observed in the last two weeks that'll help you avoid the same mistake? I mean, just think about that. Certainly there's something you observed. It could be in a neighbor, a coworker, your boss, somebody in the news, a celebrity, an athlete, a movie star. But what have you observed in the last two weeks that'll help you avoid the same mistake? Now, we don't need to just think about the big ones, you know, Hitler and Stalin and people like that. I mean, that can be too easy. But you look around, it's not very difficult to see in the lives of people that you know flaws that have led to disastrous results for them. I mean, in the news this last year, of course, we've seen the Harvey Weinsteins and Bill Cosby and certainly remember the deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, getting the nanny pregnant, uh, Tiger Woods, certainly a big one. But even like there was a special just recently with John F. Kennedy Jr. Well, he decided to fly at night. It wasn't a wise decision. He wasn't rated as a pilot to fly at night. It was way too late to take off, but he did. And we know the disastrous results of that. But you look around at businesses. I mean, there was a time when Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix. Now they laughed at the idea of people trying to get movies just virtually. Well, look at what has happened today. Netflix is a multi-billion dollar company. Blockbuster has gone totally. Kodak resisted the first digital camera back in 1997. I mean, 1977, I'm sorry, 1977. 
But they, they thought, well, that's ridiculous. You know, you need this big bulky camera that we've been used to all these years. Well, look at what's happened to the camera industry. I mean, remember when, now some of you aren't old enough to remember when Ford built the Edsall. Golly, I do. Goodness, I remember going to the Ford dealership in the little town where we lived about eight miles out. I would love to. On Saturday mornings, my family often went into town. My mom would go to the one department store and shop and, you know, dad would help with groceries. I'd go to the Ford dealership. That's where I wanted to hang out. I was always fascinated by cars. Golly, they came up with the Edsall. Well, that was a major, major, major mistake for them. It cost them millions of dollars. Back then in 1959, it cost them about $250 million. If you adjust that for inflation today, that's about a $1.85 billion mistake. Well, we want to avoid those. You can learn from seeing the mistakes of others. And just on a practical level, if you see something, I mean, sometimes... The things you see, even at like um, America's Funniest Home Videos or whatever it is, the show, you see the stupid things that people do. And often, I mean, they can do something stupid that last two seconds and change the rest of your life. My goodness, don't make those kind of mistakes. But just looking around, even in terms of business or how to take care of your yard or what kind of car to get. I mean, there are things that you can observe where other people have made big mistakes. You can avoid them by just observing and making a better decision. So make better decisions based on the mistakes that you see other people. This is not to humiliate others or to just somehow protect ourselves totally from any kind of hardship or mistakes. Not at all. We're going to have enough no matter what. I talked to a young gentleman not too long ago who said, I keep hearing that people who are ultimately successful go through multiple failures first. He said, I've really never experienced a failure. Should I set something up to get a failure behind me? I said, oh my goodness, don't do that. It'll find you. Believe me, it'll find you. Keep trying to be successful, but recognize, yeah, you'll have your share of mistakes and failures along the way. Just part of the process. Well, FreshBooks is our business partner today. When I tell you about them, there's a brand new year Brand new time to get started, to get on top of stuff. I mean, you you may remember when you started your small business, it was not a small feat. I mean, it took a lot of late nights, early mornings, the occasional all-nighters. I mean, I remember that a lot. I put in a lot of time starting multiple businesses. Enjoy the process, but it takes a lot of time. Well, one of the things to make it easier is to make sure that your financial information is handled properly. Fresh books, invoicing. And accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, keeps you way more organized than that old shoebox you might have where you throw your receipts in there. Now, just keep current. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in about 30 seconds. It's going to allow you to get paid a whole lot quicker. You can file expenses quicker, keeping them organized so that when tax time rolls around, one quick report, you got everything ready. Well, join the 40, 24 million people who are already using FreshBooks. You can try it free for 30 days. No catch, no credit card required. Just go to FreshBooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now, one of the things we've been talking about is we want to create this fund where we can give $1,000. Haven't decided if that's going to be a grant, a scholarship, or a loan, but uh, we've had this idea of helping people launch their businesses by funding them with $1,000. Well, I've got 
more and more input. A lot of you have suggested things. We're continuing to gather the input. Appreciate all of that. Again, got a note here from Vitalis Esselis. He's a really brilliant guy who's got his own success story. What he's done, I ought to share that one of these days. But he says, in my humble opinion, I think the grant part would be interesting. So he talks about, he thinks it would be great to be able to give people that, and then have the advisory team in the Eagles community oversee what happens. So there's like a six month accountability period there and then have the person maybe put back in a hundred dollars. Well, again, I, I love the input Vitalis, but the question then is how do we replenish that thousand dollars? I mean, we could do that if we did one a month. I mean, I'd be happy to do that if we had one a month where we gave them a thousand dollars, but that's a pretty slow process. That means only 12 people a year are going to benefit from that. I'd love to have a way to replenish that thousand dollars so that we could do that maybe five times a month. Well, keep keep thinking. We'll keep sharing ideas on here. We're going to come up with a plan. We'll certainly try something. You know me, I'm going to try it, even if it's not perfected, and just see how it works. Well, let's go talk about some good news. Got a note from Patrick Smith. Um, I ran into this young guy about a year ago. You'll hear that in his note here about a year ago, just ran into him and he was so effusive about his praise for us. Joanna and I stopped in after going to a show and we stopped in the local taco place up here. That is the name of it. Local taco place in Brentwood, just an amazing place with their food. And he recognized us and took us to our seat and then ended up serving us and ended up giving us a complimentary meal. But he had just completed the 48 days to the work you love seminar at his church. I think that was, I think that was Grace Chapel here in the Nashville area. Anyway, a lot of churches do it. He had just completed. So he says, Dan, I wanted to update you on my career path since we spoke at Taco, local Taco last year. I've since enrolled in film school. I've had, that's the thing he wanted to do when he went through 48 days to the work you love. He was, he recognized he wasn't a candidate to just go get a regular job. He really wanted to be involved in media and film movies. He said, I have had a film I wrote and directed in the movie theater already short film for a festival. And I'm currently doing pre-production for my first client as an independent filmmaker. I graduate in three months. I'm doing research about opening a business, doing commercials and music videos. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. I plan on continuing the path of independent filmmaking until I can start working in Christian film. The provision of the Lord has been incredible since I started studying and I've come to discover why God built me like he did. It's been an incredible journey so far. And I only took the course a year ago. Thanks again for such a wonderful curriculum, Patrick Smith. Well, thanks for your note, Patrick. Cal, I'm delighted to hear those testimonials. I mean, the 48 Days Seminar is something you can access where you can just go to our products and just take it on your own. You don't have to wait for a class or wait for a time when it suits. You can start that, go through that right on your own. Well, a couple other good news things here, and we'll go into questions. Here, when, when a World War II veteran is saddened by his upcoming birthday, 50,000 strangers give him reason to smile. So despite 97 years old being an impressive milestone for this World War II veteran, Dwayne Sherman had been disheartened about his impending birthday. I watched a little video of this guy, and he talked about all his friends were dead. I mean, he's 96 years old. He said since, and since uh, he had spent most of his time without social media or texting, you know, he still valued getting handwritten letters. And there's, his daughter says that he's so disappointed he goes to the mailbox and there's nothing there but maybe a bill or two for him. But, you know, you just don't get handwritten letters anymore. So his daughter 
put out on social media just a request for strangers to brighten her father's day with a simple birthday card. Well, like happens so many times, the internet was quick to respond. It was shared, that post was shared many, many times. And this old guy, 96 years old, received over 50,000 cards and letters from strangers across 50 states and 10 countries. Well, needless to say, he was delighted. He says the outpouring of love and appreciation was the equivalent of receiving Christmas, birthday, and New Year's all wrapped up in one. Well, great story about people just responding to a simple need, not difficult at all. Golly, write a birthday card to an old gentleman, show you just to uh, congratulate him on his 96th birthday. Now, here's a cool story. There's an eight-year-old kid who is the top YouTube earner for 2018. So we just finished 2018, you know, two weeks ago. We're fresh into 2019 here. This kid earned $22 million. He's a YouTuber. He's eight years old. Now, this is redonkulous. I mean, you can go to Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Ryan Toys Reviews, and you can see tons of videos there. This kid plays with toys. And companies pay him big bucks to have him play with their toy. He opens a toy. He checks it out, tells a story about it, how you could play with it. That's what he does. I mean, this is one of those ideas you think, there's no way. Now, there are a lot of people making big money on YouTube, but this guy is the number one. I mean, there's a Forbes article that identifies the top 10. I went through those 10, 9, 8, 7, down. This is number one, an eight-year-old kid. Now, obviously, he's getting some help from his parents to set this all up and manage it. But this is a typical eight-year-old kid. He's a rambunctious kid. He loves playing with toys. He loves Legos, trains, cars. And he also says he loves his 17 million followers. Now, since then, they've started a line of collectibles. More and others selling his collectibles, his line of clothing at Walmart. So they're branching out on his brand as an eight-year-old. Now, at, at this point, I mean, they have more money put aside for him than he'll ever spend in a lifetime, which will make his, the rest of his life pretty interesting. Here he is at eight years old, financially, never have to worry about money, never have to earn money. It'll be interesting to see what this kid does. 20, 30, 40 years from now. Is this going to be a blessing or a curse? Is this going to allow him to really live out his passion? Or is this going to make him irresponsible and somebody who just flounders and makes bad decisions because he doesn't have to do anything for money? I don't know. I mean, it's one of those, you know, when we would want to help our children, it's like the knowing that there's a butterfly coming out of the cocoon. And we see it just split open a little bit and we think, oh, I'm going to help it, you know, so it doesn't take so long, take so much energy, you have to work so hard, I'll just help you open it up. Well, if you do, you subvert the struggle that that butterfly has to go through to become a butterfly, to force the blood out to the extremities of those wings. If you help it, it'll come out as just this bulbous mass, doesn't turn into anything, it just dies very quickly. Sometimes I think we try to avoid the pain that somebody needs to go through that is part of the learning process. Well, we could stop there all day, go there. You can take whatever message is needed for you as a parent or a a sibling or somebody who cares for somebody else. 
but uh, sometimes we're too quick to step in and subvert the process of learning that is required. Well, this here's a question, and um, so it says, I'm halfway through the 48-day schedule, and I'm now scared that I've set myself up for the wrong field of work. Dear Dan, I'm an avid listener of your podcast, reader of your blogs, blogs and books, follow your job search teachings. I've been following the 48 days schedule outline in your book. I've been religiously putting things into practice. I'm halfway through and getting all my information together to send to prospective employers. I've identified my strongest skills as teaching others, communicating both in written form and orally, collecting, organizing, disseminating information, and figuring out better processes for solving different kinds of problems. My DISC profile lists me as a precisionist, CS with a very high C, and I feel that I'm called to teach other people. I've set myself up to move into positions such as training and development or instructional coordination with my resume and cover letters, but now I'm second-guessing myself. Is this truly what I want to do? I don't know that I have the passion for working as a teacher in the corporate world as my passions are much more geared toward the liberal arts, history, literature, music, art, etc. But I have no desire to teach in the school systems as there's so much negative in that space these days. And I already make more money than I would as a school teacher. I don't want to take a pay cut. Is this just my fear of new possibilities talking or am I possibly going the wrong way? Well, here's what I am going to suggest that you do, Nathan. That is, start your job search. You want opportunities to explore. Don't try to just skip past the interview and negotiating process by imagining exactly what job they may want you to do. And stop with these broad, sweeping generalizations. Every opportunity is unique. It's like snowflakes. You, I mean, we can take an opportunity like office administrator. Well, I know office administrators, you know, who make $30,000 a year and those that make $130,000 a year. Same job title, but it's just very different. Stop with these generalizations about imagining what it's going to, you need to get in the game. You need to get out there. I mean, yeah, I, I think you're protecting yourself from the fear of interviewing by imagining that you may not want the job anyway. I mean, what you want right now are interviews, lots of them. That puts you in the driver's seat to then choose what you would like most. Stop trying, stop second guessing yourself at this point. Yeah, get out there and do interviews. I mean, if you have five or six interviews, you'll know what opportunities are out there. And you'll be able to see more clearly how an opportunity would align with what your gut, your heart, your instinct is, is telling you. Don't. Yeah, you're way ahead of the game here. You know, when, when employers are looking at people these days, again, sometimes we're, we're so clear about just outlining exactly what it is that we can do. We forget that companies realize they're hiring an, a whole person. I mean, there's a, you can, I'm sure you can Google it quickly and find the, the resume of Marissa Meyer. Uh, you know, she's very high level CEO, and her resume is just delightful in how it includes other things about her personally that most people don't put on a resume. And yet here she is at a very high level, and she has on there what a typical day looks like for her in terms of taking care of her kids, the things that she enjoys, other things like that just about her personally. I mean, that you could have on a resume the fact that um, you flew to India and then spent 10 weeks trying to figure out how to make enough money to fly back home. I mean, that's a really interesting piece that's going to set you apart 
from other people. But this whole thing about finding opportunities is way more fluid and innovative and creative today than it was 10 years ago or five years ago or one year ago. Get in the game, be creative about how you present yourself and you're going to find opportunities all around you. Now this, this comes from Jim. Jim's pretty discouraged. You'll hear that here as well. The question is, how can you help me? The answer is, I'm not sure, but I thought I would ask. I'm 54 years old, still not sure what I want to be when I grow up. Long story short, I've been self-employed all my life, lost my business and my reason when the markets crashed in 2008, 2009, and I've been floundering ever since. Cannot seem to find passion in anything I do. Cannot figure out how to make a living in anything I'm passionate about. All right, Jim, 2008, 2009, that was 10 years ago, 10 years ago. The economy has been rocking since then. If you haven't gotten back in the game, it's because your hurt and fear have kept you on the sidelines. Now, if you were an entrepreneur once, you're probably not going to be happy working for someone else. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a list of 20 things you know you could do. Now, don't, don't be too strict on categorizing these or eliminating them or seeing why they wouldn't. Just make a list of 20 things that you know have possibility, real ideas that have some potential. Then filter those ideas by what you know about yourself, your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. Then narrow that list of 20 down to three or four. Then do some more research about what a real business than those would look like. Then choose the best one and start. Don't second guess yourself for one year. Don't worry about not being passionate about it. Your passion will be more developed than discovered. Passion can be developed by doing something really well over a long period of time. Too often people are waiting to totally clarify their passion and they never do anything. Well, passion is one of those things you can't, just pluck it off a tree fully developed. It is birthed and developed by getting in the game, by doing something. So yeah, golly, I, I suspect your hurt and fear is keeping you from getting in the game more than not being clear, not having the clarity that you talk about. Well, this comes from John. <clears throat> John's down in um, Hansville, Alabama. All right. And John says, I'm the president of a nonprofit Christian organization. I've been involved for the past 10 years. I want to create an income from the organization, although I'm not sure how. We have a lot of resources, books, CDs, DVDs created by our founder. I even have written three books. It even costs money to solicit donations as a 5013C nonprofit. It costs money to upgrade our website. The books from our founder are dated, no funds, and so many ideas. Well, I checked out your site. John, it looks like an interesting organization. Uh, I saw the books that you've written, like The Miracle and the Message, recent, your most recent book. And I see that you certainly have the potential you know, to do retreats and events and counseling and have courses and memberships. I mean, those are the kind of things to generate income. Now, you have to have a viable idea, something that people are, that they care about, something that gets them excited You can't just push an idea that you think has value or something that has 
had value traditionally, historically. I mean, sometimes things do fade in their impact. But you have to have something that people really want to engage with, a cause that people believe in. And if you do, people will get involved willingly. Let me give you a couple examples of nonprofits. You've heard me talk about Kaza, the jewelry company that my son helped start, that he started in Africa years ago. And with that, he wanted to help these women most of whom had been made widows by the genocide that happened in Rwanda years ago. But these women's husbands were killed. There were over 100,000, you know, men who were killed in a 90-day period. It was just a horrible, horrible internal civil war that erupted there. And a lot of women ended up as widows and as such resorted to prostitution as a way just to create a meager income to feed their kids. I mean, and he wanted to help with the the Bible would call the least of these people who are the most marginalized. Those are the ones that Jared is drawn to. Well, how do you do that? Well, his first idea was he's going to come back home to mom and dad in Williamson County, Tennessee, high income County, and just ask these rich people for money. It's a worthy cause. I said, man, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I don't want you to do that. You know, there, there are over 200 nonprofits based in Williamson County, Tennessee already. There's a lot of people with good causes with their hands out. How are you going to stand out in a sea of sameness like that? I said, you got to be more creative than that. So we went back to Africa, back to the drawing board, worked with ideas, microenterprise ideas, and ultimately came up with this one where the women would make jewelry, that they would use scrap paper from the community old textbooks, phone books, catalogs, calendars, whatever, and just find these. So it was just trash paper, but then they would roll it. No color added, but the color in the paper itself, the print, would create different colors in the necklaces, and then they put lacquer on them and then come back here for fashion shows in Chicago, New York, L.A., Nashville, high-end fashion shows, and sell it as jewelry. And the money then would pay these women more than what a school teacher would make in that environment. That's the way that it was funded. Totally self-funded. They didn't have to ask for donations from anybody. That really is the most ideal way to make a nonprofit self-sustaining. What is it that the organization can do, even with the pers- the people that they are serving, so that they create income? A couple other examples like that. Narrowgate. I was on the board with Narrowgate for several years. It's an organization. They have a 130-acre farm about an hour and a half outside of Nashville here, and they bring in young men who have made poor decisions, 18 to 25 years old, and put them through a real butt-busting program for six months to turn them out as godly men. It's a great, great program, and the success stories are just legendary about these young guys coming out. Now, in doing that, as part of that six-month program, they are working in woodworking, metalworking, leather, they turn out beautiful, beautiful products that are then sold. I mean, you can go to their website, narrowgate.org, narrowgate, just like it sounds, .org. You can go there and see the kind of products that they develop. Those products create a lot of income. I mean, their goal is to become totally self-sustaining so they can bring in these young guys at no charge to the young guys who come in, but because of then the products that they're selling, it creates income to fund the entire program. I mean, that's the way to do it. Thistle Farms is another one. Becca Stevens, just an amazing lady, Episcopal 
a priest or bishop or pastor, whatever they call her. Anyway, a remarkable lady, but Thistle Farms. I mean, she has a real heart for these young gals who have been caught in prostitution or drug use or been imprisoned, and they're coming out. And it is specifically, they use thistles. Now, they go out into the countryside and they, they gather thistles purposely because it's seen as a weed, something that anybody would try to get rid of, eradicate. It has no use. It's useless. And she knows that's the way a lot of these young ladies are viewed. They're useless. There's no good to society. Lock them away somewhere. No, she wants to recapture the value of these young ladies. And they, they do that by gathering thistles and then they use it. I don't know what the process is, but they turn it into these remarkable lotions and shampoos and these upper scale products that people then buy. And in doing so, I mean, they are in, they're in major markets, they're in Whole Foods, they're places like that. I mean, they have a real big operation. Again, you can check it out, thistlefarms.org. But it's another example of a nonprofit who are serving people well, and yet they're using the skills of the people who they are serving as they groom them and grow them into godly young women, using those skills to create products where in which the sale of those products then create revenue to fund the organization. I like to look at that. I listened to an interview this morning with Blake McCluskey from Tom's Shoes. I mean, they are not a nonprofit. They're an ordinary business. They've given away over 86 million pairs of shoes to kids around the world because of their model, buy one, give one. They do with eyeglasses. You buy eyeglasses. They do eye surgery on a child somewhere. They're now involved in gun control. Really interesting interview that I heard him talk about. But, you know, they are certainly a a social justice, um, social entrepreneurship organization. They give tremendously. They give millions of dollars and they give products and services to help people around the world. But they don't ask for donations to do that. They have a business model whereby the profits of the business allow them to be that generous. I mean, that is the ideal model. I think the time of organizations who have no income generation model at all and simply depend on donations totally, I think those days are numbered. I mean, even if you look at the organizations that I talk about, like Kiva, where we loan money to individuals who then repay it. I mean, that's funded because if I loan $50 to a young man somewhere in the world, let's say Rwanda, who wants to um, start making upholstery or doing upholstery work in cars, let's say. So if he wants to do that, if I loan him $50, well, I'm going to also be charged maybe $6 from the organization just for processing that. So they tack on a little bit of administrative fee to fund the cost of the organization itself so they can continue then funneling the money directly through to the individual who needs it most. But there are so many unique models. I mean, look at social entrepreneurship, ethical capitalism, B corporations. I mean, those are all new models that are emerging for companies that recognize it's not a matter of just taking advantage of people. And then at some point you decide to give back. No, you structure a business. So it gives back from day one. So you're doing the good you want to do from day one. And I think you can do that with an organization, even if its history has been as a traditional nonprofit organization. Well, love the topic, love the question. 
uh, you know, question that you've got there, John. And uh, I think you can do some creative things with your organization as well. Well, Timothy asked, Dan, I'm writing today to seek advice from my older brother. I think he needs coaching or maybe become a member of the Eagles community, but I can't figure out where to start with him. Here's the short background. My brother, 52 years old, was released from prison three years ago when an autoimmune disorder, which was misdiagnosed for an extended period of time, led to his blindness. Wow, how sad. He recently was awarded a settlement for the medical malpractice surrounding his case, but his previous vocation was in construction, and he's having a hard time recognizing a future career. After feeling sorry for himself and being angry for the past three years, he's ready to start thinking about the next career in his life, and he has some resources to invest in himself. From listening to your podcast, I know you have mentioned on several occasions great people in your groups that are visually impaired. There are three obvious barriers. Number one, he doesn't always want to take advice from his younger brother, and he lives in um, another state. Number two, he's surrounded by people that do not support his personal growth and development that I would call toxic. And number three, he's never taken the time to learn how to thrive as a visually impaired person. My brother has a huge heart for service and is very entrepreneurial. With the mentoring from some of the great 48 Days principles, I think he can accomplish great things. Any suggestions you will have will be greatly appreciated. Timothy, well, Timothy, man, I appreciate your heart for this and your desire to help your brother. One of the things that jumped out, I mean, went back and bolted it just in your message from me, was this. He has never taken the time to learn how to thrive as a visually impaired person. Wow. I mean, he has to be motivated. I mean, we hear the old adage, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. There can be a whole lot of teachers in the room, and if the student is not ready, nothing's going to happen. This is really tough. I mean, one of the toughest things is when we see the people closest to us, those that we love the most, continue to make decisions that are clearly not wise. I mean, it can be terribly frustrating to see them make self-defeating decisions. But it's very tough to make them do what we know is best. I mean, I have family members that I see choose what I call comfortable misery rather than do a job search for something more fulfilling. When I had a brother-in-law who bought a business and then asked me to come in and look at it with him, I looked at the physical space, the equipment, and looked at the financials, and I recommended to him that he come in that night, carefully remove his personal belongings, lock the door, and never to return. Well, he didn't do that. He continued to pour money into it, and about a year later, discovered he had 18 credit cards, totally maxed out, no way to survive, and then filed bankruptcy. I mean, you know, we want to help those that are closest to us. But I think the best value you can give your brother is sure some basic coaching tips about preparing himself as a visually impaired person. Uh, We do have, golly, we do have quite a um, number of people in the 48 Days Eagles community who are visually impaired. Um, Michael and Teresa Blaze come to mind. Um, And of course, Karen Putz is deaf, but we have people who have those unique challenges and are thriving because they're finding things that fit with the unique skills that they have. So you can perhaps, you know, give me access to that community. It's not a big deal, but, but then go ahead and live your own life of success and joy. I think seeing your success will likely do more than trying to talk him into his own. I mean, we see that we think about, we've just come through the holidays where a lot of times families are together and 
gee, they ask you what you're doing. Well, you, gee, you're going to buy a rental house. Well, that's a stupid idea. You know, you're going to lose your shirt doing that. And then you get together six months later and you just kind of, you know, they, they're kind of aware that, gee, now you've got four rental houses. You're getting $2,000 a month positive cash flow from those. And they're saying, hey, how about if we go together as a family and put in funds and we'll all buy a house together? Your success does a whole lot more to turn their way of thinking than just trying to convince them at the front end of things they ought to do to change, change their thinking. I mean, that's just the way that it works. With family members, sometimes we have to create boundaries, even if it hurts us to see them in pain. But you can love somebody well from a distance. I mean, you can love somebody well that you only see once a year. And sometimes just establishing boundaries allows you to love that person even more rather than just pouring into them so you end up resentful of the interaction and of how you've been drained and taken advantage of. Sometimes just creating boundaries is a way to to really provide a better kind of love. So I would encourage you to be careful about being drawn into this. I appreciate your empathy for your brother. Certainly, we'd love to have him in the 48 Days Eagles if he is motivated to participate. If it's just you giving that to him and he's resistant, it's not going to do anything. But if he is motivated, it could, in fact, be something to open the door for him. Well, again, a lot of people are coming in right now. Just 48daysteagles.com. Got some exciting things happening in there. You hear us talk about the gifts that went out at Christmas time and this new program we've got that we're going to start funding people's business ideas to help them accelerate. We've got clear themes set out for each month of the year. We've got an advisory board, people that are taking leadership in different areas, Dean of coaching, Dean of speaking, those kind of positions have been identified. So a lot of cool things happening in there. Well, let me grab this one. Stephanie, this is the one that were in the questions. I said, how do I submit my application to the person whose job I want? She didn't list it as exactly that. But Stephanie says, Dan, I'm targeting admin positions at small medical clinics in my job search. I called the last place in my list to find out who I should address my letters to and was asked what I was applying for by the person on the phone. She's the office manager and the only admin in the building, from what I can tell. And it was very awkward to tell her that the position I'm applying for is ideally hers. I definitely caught her off guard. She ended the conversation very quickly after I answered her. Obviously, with any business teams, teams can grow in number. So I'm not that put off, but do you have any wisdom to share on the topic? I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, absolutely, Stephanie. When you're looking at small organizations like this, go high in the organization with your approaches and connections. Don't expect to get a great reception from anyone at an equal or lower position in the company than where you want to be. So in an organization like the, what you're describing here, go to the CEO, go to the owner, the boss, whatever. I mean, don't try to go in at the level at which you want to be in the organization. So if ever in doubt, just go high in a job search like that. When you're targeting your companies, the way we lay it out in 48 days to the work you love, you know, identify those 30 or 40 companies. If you don't know who the decision maker is, you will never go wrong by going high. If you go to the CEO and your resume does what it's supposed to do in terms of wetting their appetite. He'll simply give it to the person who needs to see it. If that is somebody other than him or her, but yeah, just, just go high in what you're doing. 
Well, you know what? I forgot to, as we were going through, I wanted to give you a chance just to remind you that these are questions coming from people out here living life, just like you and I are doing together. You know, we continue to hear from a lot of people, as I mentioned at the outset here, that people are wanting to do something more independent this year. First year, first of the year always brings that out. Gee, this is the year I want to do something on my own. Now, again, that's not for everybody. It doesn't fit everybody. But if it does, you know, now's a great time to start. But we hear from people who are wanting to get an advancement. They want to get their first job. They're just getting out of college and need to do the first job search. We hear from people who want a promotion and what they're already doing. We hear from people who want to use that 15 hours a week on the side to just do a side hustle. I mean, that's one of the short courses that I'm going to be developing in the first quarter here of this year is how to use 15 hours a week to absolutely skyrocket in a business. It's by being clearly intentional about investing your time in four different distinct areas. So that's something I've got coming up. But we hear from people who, you know, want to do that. They don't want to leave their job, but they want to do something to create income on the side. And then we hear from people, obviously, lots of them who in our 40 Days community who are full-time entrepreneurs already. You're growing businesses, you're leveraging, you're going, getting excited about the new opportunities out there and going on from there. Well, all those things are certainly possible. Well, I've got a free resource for you in that regard. It's an entrepreneur readiness quiz. Do you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? So if you just go to 48days.com slash entrepreneur, you'll see that free quiz. Do you have what it takes? I mean, they're pretty identifiable things that are required to be an entrepreneur. If you need somebody to wake you up in the morning and tell you what time to be at work and show you exactly what to do, yeah, don't, don't rock the boat. Don't try to go out on your own. But if you know that you're self-disciplined, you're self-motivated, you make your own decisions and love doing so, you know, you may have some of the characteristics. So go to 48days.com slash entrepreneur and check that out. Well, we started out our quotation for the day was only a fool learns from his own mistakes. The wise man learns from the mistakes of others. That's a way to short circuit your process to success. Watch what others do poorly and not to belittle them or make fun of them, but to make sure you don't make those same mistakes. My goodness. Some of the things that I see, you know, peers of mine make as mistakes. I think you got to be kidding me. You just, you know, you just burned 20 years of growth that you were working on and it's now gone. Or you just destroyed a 35-year marriage with a stupid 10-minute decision. Don't do that. Make sure that you're moving forward in a positive way. One of the verses that I have right in front of me where I stand here when I record this podcast is Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. Be careful who you're spending time with. Make sure you're spending time with people that you want to end up being like. I mean, that's not a selfish kind of thing to do. It's a wise use of your time, your talents to be able to do that. So our call to action was, what have you observed in the last two weeks that will help you avoid the same mistake you see other people making? Wow, that's a very real kind of thing. Just look around. It's easy to identify the mistakes. I've had some encounters recently with a gentleman who has just retired and everybody in the world is thrilled that he's retired. He was horrible, horrible disposition. 
horrible in the way that he would belittle people and squeeze them and take advantage of them. It's just amazing that he was able to, well, it was a government position, but uh, so be that as it may, but I think he would have a hard time surviving in any other kind of position. But I mean, people are glad to see him go. I mean, what a legacy to leave where everybody remembers you were the jerk for 27 years. That's not a legacy that you want to leave. You want to be creating a legacy where people are going to be sad when you're not there anymore. They're going to remember the good things that you do. And I know that if you're listening to this, you are, in fact, that kind of person. So thanks for being part of this group of people, this amazing group. If you haven't checked out the 48 Days Eagles, now's a great time of year to do that. A lot of new people coming in there. We'd like to welcome you and connect you immediately with a whole lot of resources and other people who are going to hold your arms up when you're tired and weary and help you by sharing their ideas and resources to take you where you want to go. And ultimately, you know that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.